I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today we're launching a new limited run series that focuses on surf shops and their cultural influence on surfing. I've been remiss to not include surf shop owners and their stories on this podcast over the past six years. The truth is, uh, surf shops are inextricable from my surf experience. I bought my first surf film at Harbor Surfboards in Seal Beach, one of the shops we'll be featuring in this series. My first surfboards were gifts that came from garage sales. But after that, shortly after that, the first boards that I purchased were Ryan Sakel's used boards from his dad's shop, Sakel Surfboards, on Main Street in Huntington Beach. Anytime I needed wax, I would try to go into a different surf shop, one that I hadn't been in before, just so I could peruse all the different boards that I couldn't afford but I'd fantasize about. I often felt intimidated in those shops, like I was underinformed or not cool enough, just didn't know the right questions to ask about surfboards. So instead, I'd usually just nod along, pretending to understand it if an employee ever engaged me in conversation. I remember trying on booties one time. I was 15 with my best friend, Ryan Williams, and it was gonna be the first pair of booties for both of us. And obviously booties are super hard to get in and out of. So I was hopping around on my right foot while trying to wrestle the booty onto my left foot, standing on one foot. And uh, the 20 year old sales rep, who was a great surfer and I recognized him from surfing the pier all of the time. He was looking at us and he goes, man, I've never seen anybody try to do it on one foot before, which Ryan and I thought to be a compliment, but kind of afterwards thought about it and realized that he was totally just making fun of us. So we still laugh about that. Um, and I think about it nearly every time that I wear booties. So this series dedicated to surf shops was prompted by the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, whom I utilize as a resource and they provide studio space for me to record podcasts uh, regularly. On August 9th, they're launching a new exhibit entitled Temples of Stoke, a celebration of surf shop culture. They've invited 25 iconic California surf shops to install shrines of photos, memorabilia, and artifacts that tell the story of their shop and the role that it plays in their respective California beach town. Hobie Alter once said, quote, A great surf shop is a social and cultural hub for surfers, a place to hang out, check out boards, brag about great waves or new spots, and laugh about a horrendous wipeout, end quote. 
I've recorded five conversations with different shop owners. Each represents a totally different style of shop and a different approach to business. I'd love to continue this series beyond that five. Um, I spoke last year with some people in New Jersey, surf shop owners. So maybe we'll do this regionally, but for now, I think this series of five is a solid cross section that represents on a small level, stories and trends of retail and surf culture that are happening elsewhere. And as it turns out, of course, California was an epicenter of board building, which was the entry point into surf retail. Anyway, I'll be publishing this series of episodes every other week for the next couple of months throughout the duration of the Temples of Stoke exhibit at Shack. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com to learn more about that or directly onto their website, shacc.org. And again, that exhibit opens on August 9th and is open to the public. For this first episode of the series, I'll introduce one of the more colorful surf shops of my youth, The Frog House. Founded in 1962 and located on Pacific Coast Highway in Newport Beach, California, right across from some of the best beach breaks around, even if you haven't been inside of the Frog House, you've laughed at the jokes that they put up on their marquee out front, or maybe you've slammed on your brakes when you saw the police on his motorcycle pointing a radar gun at you, only to realize moments later that it's just a realistic painting on a plywood cutout that the Frog House crew made. Some civic-minded shop owner might have done that in order to slow down traffic and to keep other drivers safe, but it seems to me that the Frog House staff did it purely for the comedy. A fantastic concept, by the way, and lovingly painted for a punchline that those employees won't ever benefit from witnessing. Just some random drivers getting duped as they pass by. And that type of comedy fits perfectly with the fact that their website that they advertise on their marquee, froghouse.com, hasn't worked in years. All of this is orchestrated like an off-tempo, avant-garde, improvised jazz piece by the maestro T.K. Brimer. Always in shorts, sometimes a shirt or a leather vest, thick black framed glasses, and a thousand words a minute fumbling from his mouth. The Frog House is a cultural gem. And really considering the surrounding wealth of the community, all of the development, how many episodes of The Real Housewives of Orange County were filmed at nearby restaurants, it's really confounding to reflect on how little the Frog House has changed since my youth. Here's TK Brimer with its story. Uh, Are you going to have a gauge on there that tells you if we're getting yeah, it uh, too far? Look at my questions. I oh, okay. Want you to be, I want you to be uh, surprised. Surprised, Whoa. exactly. That's Didn't the, see that coming. Of surprise is what we're going for. Whoa! Um, so let's start with this building is no, number one prime real estate and just an epic space that you have uh, Frankensteined into your own making. What's yeah, the origin of this building? Well, you know what? The Frog House started in 1962, and I know you're going to get to that question someday, so there yeah, you go. I it. took it right yeah. away from you. But uh, in 1962, the Frog House opened up in a uh, old abandoned gas station, which you'll see uh, two blocks, what seems like northwest of here on Coast Highway. You've never seen it before in your life, but now that I mentioned it and you drive by, you'll look and you'll see it. And uh, the place was... Uh, a shambles and no security didn't even have a good locking door situation and this building here came available 
It was Hossie Speed Shop. Hossie Speed Shop had been here for some 18 years or something and did, you know, hot rod conversions and equipment, that kind of stuff, but had gone out of business. And uh, Frank Jensen, who was the uh, originator of the Frog House, came down and opened up the front door to this place when it was uh, available to rent and looked inside and it was so filthy, so filthy dirty that somebody goes, oh my God, it looks like Frog's house. And Frog was an old friend that we had that no one would go to his house because it was so filthy dirty that they would he would eat Kentucky Fried Chicken, throw the bones on the floor, and they stayed there. No way. They didn't. Crazy. They stayed there for a year. Crazy. And it was gross. You wouldn't go in Frog's house. Someone goes, oh my God, it looks like Frog's house. And Frank Jensen, the star goes, hey, we'll call it Frog House, which has nothing to do with surfing, which is a name I've never loved at all. Oh, really? But this is 1962, and he was in charge, and I wasn't even working. I wasn't even in the state of California at the time, because okay. I didn't get here until 67. And uh, so it got named the Frog House, and he uh, started renting the thing, and uh, ultimately he ended up buying it from the original owner. It's the... Uh, the building that you know we do our retail space and then there's the space that uh, we're sitting in right now is actually on what they'd be an empty lot according to the city and then this little red house that's behind us here is on a third lot so there's three little lots in a row here ultimately i ended up buying these from uh, frank jensen uh 10 years after i bought the property i mean the uh, business and uh, and i own them today I tell you the truth, and there's people in this industry that don't like the fact that I own this business or this building and property and it's paid off. So I pay zero rent if times are tough, and I pay exuberant rent if uh, times are flush. And uh, that allows me to operate the way we do and stay in business. And yeah. that's one of the reasons we're still here is because we own the property. And at our times, I don't pay rent for six or eight months because you know we're going through a terrible bad spell for one reason or another oil spill comes to mind back in the when the heck was the oil spill you ever hear the oil spill the exxon oil spill yeah Way exxon back. oil spill and uh i didn't pay myself rent for several months back then because business was so terrible yeah. but anyway yeah it's a prime real estate and it's probably my best retirement acts as access hey you can get rid of it i can't <laughs> say the word <laughs> I'll, I'll access no what asset. is it? it's asset Retirement assets, part of my best retirement asset. I mean, it's spectacular. It is so enviable. <laughs> well, you know, I and tell you this. Let me let me interrupt you real quick. What's enviable about it is that it's maintained all of its charm that it had since whatever thirty years ago. You know, so many other properties on PCH. I've lived here my whole life. I drive by, and it's like it gets purchased every ten years, torn down, build a new one. Right. Build right. a high rise. Buy Out five with of the them, old, in with the new. Build a Hyatt. Yeah, you know? that, 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 and that this that is the one me. thing that in my life has just always been there. And perpetually the same. Hey, you know what? And I know that if you go to uh, Main Street and Coast Highway at Huntington, they call it the epicenter of the surf world. That's Mega Jacks. That's Mega HSS. That's 12 other surf-related doors up Main Street. And oh my gosh, back when I was a kid, I thought, that's where you want to be. But you know, every once in a while, I find myself walking down Main Street and I go, Thank God I don't have a shop on Main Street. Yeah. There are 14 million IE people walking in and out of each one of those shops. Less than 5% of them want to buy anything. Most of them want to just look at things, and then the percentage of those want to steal something. And uh, it's not an enjoyable interaction with the, with the customer, in my mind. I walk away from there and go, thank God I'm not on Main Street. Yeah. If a guy takes the time to pull off the highway and park here at the Frog House and come in, 
he may not buy something, but he had his mind on buying something pretty much. You know, I mean, you got a yeah. good shot to sell him something. It's not a bunch of looky loos that just are. Uh, hey, we're in town from uh, from uh, San Bernardino, and let's walk down on the pier and let's browse through every surf shop. I've been up there and seen shops that have 80 people in them, maybe more, and. Uh, I don't know how you keep the uh, shoplift under control. That's a good point. I'll push back on you a little bit, though, in terms of better chance of selling somebody something. The reason why I would pull off the road and stop here is actually to do with um, the experience of the store itself. Oh, well, like, thank you. And that I, mean, I, I recognize that, and I appreciate that you recognize that also. It's like if I'm going to buy a bar of wax, I actually might choose the big box store if I want to just get in and out and not have an interaction and want it to be anonymous, because ah, there's times in my life where I do want you that. Want to be anonymous. But the other part, but more often than not, it's kind of like I want to, if I'm having a beach day or whatever, and I kind of want to, I don't have to be home at a certain time, and I want to just kind of go see. When I was a kid, it was just what new films were under the glass, under the counter out front. Right, right, right. And I can come and I can chat with somebody behind the counter. Hadn't that changed, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> no new true. films under the glass any longer. True. But uh, but I want that human interaction is the reason right. why I would come in here. As and my by point. the way, that's our our clientele that return uh, year after year are here for that interaction. It's interesting to me that I do have some people in here that come in for first time and don't come back because they don't want that interaction. They don't want the real, yeah. they don't want a real opinion from a guy behind the counter. They don't want to be interacting on a equal basis behind the counter, especially Newport money. There are some people that come in and they are want to look down on the guy behind the counter is maybe less than they yeah, are or something. Right. And those guys don't make it around here. I mean, not in my shop and they don't come back and that's okay. Yeah, you know what's something. funny is I've seen the opposite too where the small shop like this is so cool it's almost like it's so surfy that if I'm new to surfing I'm afraid to come in I'm afraid to come in now you know what when I grew up surfing and, and I started surfing on the east coast in Florida I started in 1961 and uh, I would go in surf shops and the shops there would always be some super hot surfer guy behind the counter that was so stinking cool that he couldn't have any time for me whatsoever exactly. and almost with an attitude that hey I'm paying retail I must be a complete kook because anybody's any goods getting something for free or at least a discount and uh, that hurt me when I was young and when I got in a position to control the way people act in this shop, whether it was a manager in the early years and then as an owner when I ended up buying the place, uh, one of the first things I talk to my employees when they come in, one of the first lessons they get, I tell them this, I go, you know what? The guy walking in the front door of this place is way more important than you are. I can get rid of you and get a new one of you tomorrow. If I put an ad in the paper that we have openings at the Frog House, please come apply, I truly believe there'd be 50 or more people outside the door the next day going, hey, let's, I want to work in here. But if I lose a customer, I don't ever get them back again. I can't replace the thing. He's so much more important than you. And if you ever feel that you're better than he is, your time's limited in here because uh, I can't have everybody treated that way. I. Uh, that's a thing that came from my youth. Another thing that came from my youth that I make sure never happens in here too is I bought a, a used surfboard and put it on layaway and made payments for it for months and months and months and mowed my lawns and uh, washed the windows and whatever it took, you know, to get the dough. Then I came to pick it up and the guy goes, hey, you want a skeg with that? And I'm going, oh, oh don't have a skeg? He goes, well, no, don't go with the skeg. How much is skeg? 18 bucks. I'm like, crap, I don't have 18 bucks. Dang. Yeah, if I walked out of here, or not here, but walked out of that place deflated. Yeah. All this time, I can't go surf today. 
uh, you buy a used board in the frog house, it always has a skeg. Yeah. Always comes with a skeg. But uh, funny how those uh, youthful experiences have, uh, have modeled how, how this place is run now. But you mentioned that it's a that it's an interesting interaction. I think that we we do have a uh, an amazing touch with our uh, employees that come in. First off, no one comes in the front door hopefully without saying hello to. You can't. It's you such can't. a small space. Oh, you it's can't small. sneak by. You can't sneak by. Yeah. And uh, if I'm around and most of the guys, if you buy something, you're gonna get a thank you. Yeah. You're gonna get a thank you from the guy that owns the place. Yeah. And you know why you get a thank you? Because I'm thankful. I mean, it's not bullshit. I'm thankful. I am yeah. so thankful you came in here and bought that leash, and I made twelve bucks sell it to you, because you know what? I've still got a job tomorrow, and I'm, uh, you know, still going to be hanging out at a surf shop. I'm not going to be working in a cubicle doing uh, accounting somewhere, or you know, whatever kind of career awaited me if I didn't make it here. Yeah. So uh, the uh, appreciation is legit, and people can feel legit. Yeah. You know. Let me ask you this. Um, for so much are you going on your list or are you just making this up? I'm uh you've covered like eight things on my list already, oh, just freestyle. I'll try to slow down. No, 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 it's perfect. <laughs> Makes my job way easier. Um so so much of throughout surfing's existence, you could not be a surfer without a surf shop. You I mean you needed to buy a surfboard. Sometimes you could go direct if you had builders in your community, but there's only board builders in certain communities. So you either needed a surfboard, you needed shorts you needed wax and that was only available through a surf shop can you envision a future where all surf products are purchased online well i can envision it it's like a, a bad dream i hope i can wake up from but i i see myself throwing around in bed screaming and yelling no don't let it happen i gotta tell you if there's a sadness in my life it's what the youth of today are missing out in the surf world the youth of today are not missing out on performance boards. Everybody makes great boards. Lost, uh, you know, Channel Islands, Rusty, any of the good uh, manufacturers are making great surfboards. But they're missing out on the, uh, well, what are they missing out on? They're That's missing out on the personality of the, of the sport. The uh, the personality of the sport. You uh, you go in a surf shop and uh, this is where I learned how to drink a beer and not let mom and dad find out about it. This is where back in the olden days, because I'm an old hippie from 60s, you know, there was like uh, a pot and uh, things like that. And uh, not that pot should be part of surfing, and it should not be. And I'm glad to, I'm glad that we've uh, evolved out of that uh, 60s and 70s things when it was so tied into surfing. But, uh, oh gosh, just the, the whole atmosphere of the surf world has changed so much it breaks my heart these young kids that don't get to see it now some of the kids are coming here are still getting a flavor for it but if kids are going in the big box retailers you know what there's the biggest retailers in this industry have people selling on the floor that don't surf right they don't surf the, i mean those are entirely different businesses those big box retailers it's just a commodity the things that they're selling right it there's no um hey, culture get, or salt in it i get people come walking in everybody wearing their t-shirts you know, right. wearing the well, t-shirts and I want to go, proximity to them. I want to go, where did you, uh, I mean, they have that thing in the trash. Why would you wear that thing? Yeah. That, that, that outfit has nothing to do with surf. Yeah. And, uh, but so it's let, just the lameness and understand. Let me ask you this though. Um, I asked, could you envision a future where all surf products oh, are yeah. purchased online? And your answer had nothing to do with a threat to your livelihood. It was more about the culture being lost right. for the youth. 
the, the online so, will never be a threat to my livelihood. I, uh, I already pointed out, own the property. I don't yeah. have to pay rent. I can, I can uh, exist here very, very cheaply, and and will I hope for as long as as long as I'm still surfing, I'm going to be working in here. I hope. Although I got a wife right now that's pushing back, going, I'm so sick and tired of doing books for the Frog House. And if you notice when you come in the Frog House, we don't have a computer. We write handwritten tickets. And by the way, a lot of my clientele enjoy the fact that we write handwritten tickets. There's a charm to it. And it's it. not a computer. There's a charm to yeah. it. There's a realness to it. There's yeah. a personal to it. Uh, the guy hit me up for a discount, and I can discount five bucks because I'm handwriting it. I don't know how right. you do that if you got a computer. My inventory's not on a scan. Uh, you know, a, a scan program where you just bring it up to the front counter and they scan and scan and scan and you owe me this much. I have to talk and go, oh, you got this, uh, you know, this item and that item and it, and it lends to more interaction with the customer and myself. But uh, wherever I was going with this, Do I have no sneaking would idea. Would there be benefit to implementing some of that um, that's a benefit. That's why you see it in every story out there. Sure, there's been. It's called making money. Yeah. Making money is not my high priority. It's not my highest priority. And, uh, I mean, I just say that with, you know, honesty. You know what my highest priority is? Well, first, it's family. It's family and health. And it's uh, enjoying my life. And I, gosh, you know what? When I grew up, I wanted to work in a surf shop. I wanted to work in a surf shop. And I've gotten to do that my whole life, pretty much. And I never, ever wanted to work in a clothing store. And uh, that's what you know, two thirds, five eighths of this stinking industry right. serve industry, and it bothers me that we call it an industry. Does it? I don't want anything to do with it. Industry. I like the sport of surfing. Screw the industry. Yeah. I would. How many of these industries are owned by surfers nowadays? Not who owns not. Quick? Who owns Volcom? Shareholders. Who owns uh, uh, Billy? Bill shareholders. Bob. Who owns these guys? Yeah. Bunch of shareholders. Non-surfing shareholders. It breaks my heart that they are. Uh, sucking the life out of a surfing world for profit. But anyway, that's what got me on this rant was profit. But you're uh, carrying all those brands in your store. Carrying a lot of those brands. Each one of those brands has a story to it. And uh, You want to hear stories? Yeah. Uh, for instance, Volcom. Uh, Wooly Wilcock lived in the house straight behind us here. Actually, second house back, back when he started the Volcom. And uh, he would come in and, uh, gosh, for a year and a half, he brought us Volcom stickers. Everybody's going, what the heck is Volcom? Who knows, but here's a sticker and a little preemptive advertising. And when he started building his first product line, we were his first account. And uh, he's treated us amazingly well through the developmental years of his business. And then while he was involved with that business, still treated well, I've gone to uh, Tavaru Island at least eight times on his dime just from being a good account and uh and a faithful account and uh so i've always carried it i've always carried it as a uh, as a return to him the way he's treated me and it'll be here and it will be here for a long time even though he's not involved in it now it's still a lot of people up there that have been friends and cohorts and surfing buddies from day one and i feel like i can support them Right now, so can you fault them though? I mean, once it goes public and it's shareholder owned, well, it's I can't easy fault to them when the only thing that counts is money in the world. I can't fault them exactly. at all. Yeah, yeah that's, he that's cashed kind of my out. Point. He got his, I don't know, 30, 40 million, whatever it was, some some amount, and he got his. God bless him. And you know, he owns houses in Hawaii and and houses in Mexico and homes uh, here in Newport Beach, and and he's living a an amazing world. And good for him. He earned it. But uh, 
nah, the making the money is not my number one thing. The number one thing for me is waking up in the morning, smiling, and going off to work, and walking in the front door and being thrilled that I'm here. I guess the point that I'm wondering about is um, five minutes ago when you are kind of vilifying the industry, quote unquote, but we all, it's such a small little incestuous world that the industry came from. You are, you just gave a great example of being personal friends with these people. Right. And I'm wondering for this new kid, new kids who are getting into surfing now, maybe their experience is largely online. Is their experience worse? Like if that future scenario where you can, where that kid never has to come into a surf shop, is his surf experience any less rich than mine was by coming into the frog house when I was young? Well, in, in my opinion, yeah. It's okay. like, it's bankrupt. It's zero. It's it's shallow. It's nothing. But it's the uh, new reality. And I don't expect him to recognize it as being uh, a bankrupt and, and shallow. He doesn't get it. It's all he's been exposed to. But uh, I get a kick out of... Uh, exposing the ones that do wander in here to the surf world yeah. a little bit and to the surf world the way it was in the 60s and uh you know when i was growing up surfing and letting them uh, actually interact with the guys behind the counter you know what you don't get online you don't get, learn online that you can't take off on the shoulder when you're a stinking kook you don't learn that online right you don't learn online that uh you don't learn online all surface advice have, that I give the kids. Yeah, there's no human interaction. Well, there's our whole world nowadays, isn't it? But uh, I mean, you don't learn that the river jet is not a longboard spot. You you you, you shortboard the river jet. You want a longboard? You go down to Blackies. Yeah. Blackies not a shortboard spot, although tons of people surf shortboards there. But I mean, they there's all sorts of rules to the road that you don't learn online, and you learn them in a in a surf shop, gotcha. and you learn them in the water also. But uh, in here. Uh, and in other shops like this, the ones that still do exist, you will, uh, you know, I'll run into a kid here that I was serving with out there earlier and go, hey, guy, you took off on three different guys there and and never looked back. What's this going on? What do you mean? Go, well, that, you're not allowed to do that. You're lucky. You're lucky it's in a new world we are now. You're not getting a bloody nose from somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Because back in the olden days, you might get punched totally. more often. Now that you get punched and uh, some... Uh, overprotective helicopter parents got an attorney and a, and a and a friend of the cops and it turns into a big lawsuit yes yeah, back here. in the olden days it would be a, a a broken ego and a lesson learned totally you know um transitioning into kind of the business itself what makes money for you in this business surfboards clothing wetsuits what does the business look like? And like I already said, I, I never grew up wanting to be in a clothing store. And you also, and you uh, maybe not fault me, but point out that I do carry the clothing of the uh, of those, uh, that quote, industries that I such despise in some ways. I want to point out that in my store, you're looking at maybe 30% what we call soft goods, meaning clothing, stuff that has nothing to do with serving, and 70% hard goods, which are wetsuits, surfboards, leashes, skegs, even swim fins, I mean, things you use in surf. And uh, I take great pride in being a, uh, hard, a hard goods store. I go to the uh, surfing sport and it's the other way around. It's 70% uh, soft and 30% hard goods. And by the way, a lot of the, some of the surfing sports stores have really good surfers working in there and they, and you know, with soul and all that. And then some of them have none. But uh, what makes me money is wetsuits. 
Oh, really? Wes, who's making me money? Interesting. Uh, surfboards don't make me or anybody else any money. Really? Oh, gosh, are you kidding? That that Channel Islands or that Lost surfboard or that Rusty surfboard I'm selling for uh, 725 bucks. I paid 600 bucks for it. If a guy pays 725 bucks, I made 125 bucks, which seems like nice, 125 bucks. But when you look at a percentage, it's nowhere, it's nowhere near the 40% markup I make selling a wetsuit. Right. And the guy that pays 725 bucks for that surfboard wants you to throw in a free leash. So there's another 15, 18, 20 bucks off. And he wants you to throw in a tail pad and there's another 20, 24 bucks off. And then he wants to hang around here all day like he's the king of the world because he spent 725 bucks. And sometimes I go, hey buddy, by the way, you see that guy that just bought, bought two pairs of uh, swimwear over there? I made more money off him than I did you. And he was in and out. And he That's was in and gone. And there's a guy that made me some money today. Now there I... I used a soft good as an example of a good yeah. money maker, and that's why people are the surface port, and that's why they are the big box clothing retailers. Is that's where the money is. Yeah. But uh, you ask me where I money make? I make my money in wetsuits. Got it. We sell a ton of wetsuits out here. I see numbers. I sell more wetsuits than places that are hugely larger than I am. You yeah. know, and we sell a ton of wetsuits. Uh, a lot of the retailers don't have any idea how many wetsuits we sell out of here and that's from just years of uh, of uh, good reputation right and uh, and good prices I specialize a lot in off-price rubber I get a lot of off-price rubber and uh, some of the manufacturers give me improved access to off-price rubber than some of the other guys uh, because we've got many years of relationship going on and uh, and uh, and they take good care of me that way. But uh, the answer is rubber. That's what does off-price rubber mean? Off-price rubber usually means that at the end of the season, uh, right, right now I'm selling off-price rubber from 2019 because the 2020 stuff is hitting the, well, actually available now in many, many stores. Yeah. And uh, a lot of retailers will send back old product, 2019 product, and then also a lot of retail or wholesalers will be stuck with a, a certain amount of last year's product hanging on the rack. Yeah. And I'll negotiate a price below the normal wholesale for it. And then I'll bring it here and uh, sell it for that, for a discount off price. And uh, a huge reputation for years of doing it and uh, generationally uh, experience of generation, generation come in and, and buying it. and. Just sell wetsuits. Just gotcha. sell wetsuits. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're sitting by two sewing machines, by the way, as well. So that's a portion of your business. Wetsuit repair. And there's a board ding repair blocker right next to us also. Yep, yep. The uh, wetsuit repair is a uh, not a big money maker for me but it uh, brings people in the shop now you got to bring people in the shop you got to bring new people in the shop all the time and the way it's done classically is you buy a, a full page color ad in surfer magazine and it runs uh twenty eight thousand dollars to bring in uh somebody looks at it and, and goes hey i'm gonna go to this place because they ran a good ad by the way a lot of the ads look like crap but uh i don't i don't a i don't have a budget to be able to do that B, so I use a very effective a method, and the wetsuit repair is one of them. If a guy, if a guy buys a, a, a wetsuit at another store, and they come in and they want to get it repaired, depending on the policy of the store, oftentimes they'll go, you read, the, you read the label with the manufacturer, you mail it back to that manufacturer and tell them you've got a warranty problem. You know, don't come darken my doorstep with your warranty problem. Mail it to the manufacturer, which is something we'd never do at the Frog House, by the way. But a lot of times they'll say, or you can take it down to the Frog House, and those guys will repair it for a nominal fee. They'll repair it, and they walk in my door. And any one of these guys that walks in my door is an opportunity for me to turn them into a customer. And a percentage of them walk in here and go, Whoa, this is personal. Whoa, this is different, and I like it. Yeah. Not all of them. Some of them come and go, oh, this is personal. I don't like people being personal. I'm going to go back to uh, to being uh, uh, incognito when I walk in. But uh, I, it brings people into my shop. Yeah. And we get people that come in from, you know, San Clemente, uh, L.A. Well, because area. not a lot of shops offer it. I don't know another shop that offers offers it. And we've been doing it for... Gosh, 40 years, I'm sure, at least 40 years. I mean, I, I remember getting a wetsuit repaired here when I was young, and it was like 10 bucks or something. Just yeah, super nominal. Still nominal. Yeah. Still really nominal. Like I say, to me, it's a service, and it's a uh, uh, an ability to, to try to uh, harvest another customer. Yeah, which makes perfect yeah. sense. And the ding repair is a lot the same. I make a little bit of money on ding repair, but uh, ding repair is a uh, service is not offered by quote surf shops anymore yeah. and i don't know how a guy can be called a surf shop he can't do ding repair such but uh, but thank goodness and bless these guys they send us ding repairs for all up and down the coast one thing we have a reputation if we tell you it's going to be done on saturday it's almost always done on saturday Good. through my lifetime a ding repair a ding repair guy is a guy that uh, that works for you for three or four months 
and then quits and you lose three surfboards in the meantime because he doesn't know where they went and and he's been horribly late and sometimes the uh, the product's not good and it's usually a huge headache but it's a guy named Steve Bailey about 30 years ago uh, decided to make it into a real business and he uh, and the, the best thing he did was good work but the best thing he did is promise it on Saturday have it back on Saturday dependable ding repair service and we keep a records book of when the board comes to us when it goes out to our repair guy when it returns from him okay. and uh, keeping that accurate record and not losing boards and then having that dependability has built our ding repair uh, business up what I consider huge now Bailey did it for about I'm thinking 12 or so years and uh, then he decided to uh, he got his uh, MBA at uh, you know post-grad uh, degree from college and went off to what we'd call a real job and uh, now I've had uh, Whitstick Scott Whitstick uh, took over and he's been doing it for I'm just off the top of my head 28 years or wow. something I mean forever and ever and once again uh, he uh, does it as a professional business and does hundreds of thousands of dollars because I'm not his only account. He does hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in ding repair. Amazing. And the, the main thing is have it back on the day you promised it came back. If not, yeah. make a phone call to that guy so there's not disappointment. Just you know, these opportunities. Yeah, the opportunities come along to where you can, A, we're talking about doing the, the wetsuit repair, or B, doing the ding repair. Those are opportunities. Now, they're not a success just because the opportunity came. You've got to follow through and establish to that customer that you're trusting and are, are trustworthy and dependable. And that trustworthy and dependable thing is what brings them back a lot of times. Right. right. Fascinating. Uh, I mean, basic, but... Yeah, basic, but it's but it's forgotten in uh, in most totally. of the quote surf stores out yeah. there, and they're almost lost leaders. Certainly, the wetsuit repair thing is a lost leader, but it it does give you an opportunity to do what, exactly what you said for sure. Um, for sure. I I, I, by the way, I usually point out to the guy that had you bought that suit here, it wouldn't be cost you ten bucks. Right, I'd be, I'd be doing it for nothing. Sure, you know, sure, sure. Um, I'd love to get your philosophy and theory on something. Um, like this type of a shop is certainly like the core of the surf industry. I would argue board builders are as well. Like board builders, the, the surf industry can't live without those guys. And those guys are so underpaid and undervalued. And you mentioned a couple of large manufacturers that you carry, brands that you carry here. Um, there's so many great board builders locally, right up the hill from here. Small ones. Yeah. Why Small not? Ones. Why not invest in that? Why not carry those brands? Also, those brands you could sell for a thousand dollars a board and make larger margin on than you can with some of the large manufacturers. And, and, and some of those, uh, some of those shops out there are selling boards for thousands of dollars, twelve thousand, twelve hundred dollar long boards, fourteen, sixteen hundred dollar long boards. I made a trip down through San Clemente uh, uh, last year because I've been hearing about oh they're selling. And sure enough, they've got longboards going for $1,400, $1,600. You know, a problem I run into all the time here is that I've been here for so many years, and I started working here in 1967, so I've been 52 years in here. It's hard for me to think about selling a surfboard for $1,000 or <laughs> $1,200. And I hurt myself all the time. A guy will bring up a, a, a set of racks that I used to sell for $1,295, and today they're $39.95, and which is a fair price for that set of racks. But it breaks my heart to charge a guy thirty nine ninety five for it, and my employees. That guy is showing up in an Audi. 
Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, the guy and, he opens a, and he opens his trunk and he has... Ain't it the truth? It's and super expensive golf clubs I don't in there. see that. So and what are you worried about? That. And I don't see that. You know, but I... But that's... Yeah, that's the truth. And he lives in Newport. My employees here always sit here and give me an elbow and try to get me out of the sale. They go, TK, you're going to make some money. Not that they gouge anybody. We're going to sell for what it says on it. You know, we're going to sell for what it says. I mean, and so I... While I completely sympathize with you, and I certainly don't want to spend more on a surfboard than I have to... But why don't I do more... Well, well, my thought is just that those guys building those boards, who are the kids who grew up shopping here and surfing across the street, would like to buy a house in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And realistically, they cannot. No, they cannot. And charging the $1,400 is actually a step in the right direction. And even with the boards that you do have on the rack, you're lamenting that there's not enough margin there for you. There's not enough margin there. So I think everybody across the board, even the manufacturers you did name, need to raise prices well, so they not, or, or, it, it's not raise their, the uh, whole the uh well raise prices all the way across exactly raise that's my point oh it's you know what and it's been this way since the beginning of surf time i mean a surfboard that used to sell for 140 bucks buying a new board and uh it was ridiculous the uh the the labor that goes into it the love that goes into it and the low cost that goes into it but people back in the early days were working it for the same reason i work it today they wanted to be in the surf industry they are right. the surf world I, right. I don't like that industry word but they want to be in the surf world and uh and that was their ticket into it and by the way i do sell i've got three or four local brand shaped surfboards out there on the floor also Who do you got? i didn't mention them earlier t- today because they uh I'm trying to, to uh, do a presentation to the mass world out there, and they're not going to recognize well, let's give them some Baltierra love. that's out there, and they're not going to recognize... Uh, uh, hey, Key, Zach, I mean, what's your name, Blondie? Blondie works. Hey, what's your ex-roommate's board we sell out there? Panda. Yeah, Panda. They're not yeah, going to yeah. recognize Panda uh, worldwide, and they're not going to recognize... Uh, 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 you know, so these other, uh, a lot of these other small names, DLC. but yeah, yeah, De La Cruz that we yep. got sitting on the rack out there, and I went serving with today. But uh, yeah, I, I wish that there was a way to wave a magic wand, and every surfboard in the whole world went up three or four hundred dollars in retail, and that money could go back to. Oh, if it even if I still only made my hundred a quarter, but it all went back to the guys that were laminating and ruining their health smelling the fumes and dying of brain cancer and we see it in the industry all the time and shapers dying from cancer which and by the way if they were paid appropriately they wouldn't have some of those problems that you're talking about they would be able to invest into um proper ventilation clean yep it's true high industrial hygiene all this basic stuff now i think classically Go ahead. The the point is there are plenty of glass shops, even here in Orange County, that run to those high standards where it's completely safe. And but the problem is because everybody because everything's underpriced, there's other glass shops down the street that are undercutting their pricing who the fire department doesn't even know that exists. And even even the ones with uh, you're talking about with the uh, amazing ventilation, you still walk in there and you smell it. You know, I mean, you can't. I've but never they're been wearing. In, I, they're they're wearing masks. masks. If they're yeah. smart, they're wearing yeah. masks. Yeah. Uh, you run into them all the day that aren't wearing masks. And additionally, just recycling acetone, things like that, like actual mm-hmm. environmental protection right, right. things that they can implement if they had proper funding. You know, yeah, that's true. So it would be it would be good. Unf- a a, uh, a problem we've had in the surfboard manufacturing world since the beginning of my time in it is as the. Uh, the garage guy, the guy that uh, goes, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, sh-. and by the way, 
most of our best shapers today came from the garage. Oh yeah, you know, and they start in the garage. Totally. I get the kids in there even today, and they're they're shaping a board, and uh, and then they take it up to uh, a, a professional glass shop and spend 180 bucks on a glass job on it. And I'm going, time out, dude. I go, don't waste 180 bucks on this piece of crap you just shaped. <laughs> you need to go and buy the materials and. For about sixty bucks, laminate this thing in your garage, right? And your uh, shapes will improve, and your glassing will improve, and uh, sooner or later you'll, you know, soon you'll be able to sell those boards for what it costs you to build them, and then some months down the road you'll actually be able to make a profit on them, and uh, you'll end up being a professional shaper. But the professional shaping has always been dogged by the guy in the garage that's trying to learn and is selling it, you know, selling it well below. Uh, what would be a reasonable uh, wholesale or retail price in order to generate uh, customers so we can keep Just shaping and learn how yeah. to shape. Yeah. Although, let's talk about how uh, how that shaping thing has changed also, by the way. I uh, I could be a pretty doggone shaper myself today by bo buying uh, boards that are cut on computer and then I just screen them and scrub off the rails, and I can shape a heck of a good board that comes off a computer. There's not much skill involved in it anymore. Right. Uh, that's another part of the industry that's difficult. But uh, in regard to how your business has changed over the years, there's a lot of soft tops out there on your uh, floor right yeah, now. Yeah, there are. I so bought a bunch more right now. How's that as a business? You know, that's a funny thing. And does thing it cut that, into the hardboard you, you business? Know, it, being old like I am is a bummer being old, but it, the positive part of being old is we got to see a lot of trends come and go through the industry, uh, you know, through the surf world all these years. And that uh, softboard one is one that has just exploded in the last three or four or five years, you know. And uh, for a while there was uh, the biggest surfboard sales in the world is Costco. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The biggest surfboard salesman in the world is Costco. And for one reason, I'm up there buying two or three hundred of them a year at Costco. Because I can't buy that board for a hundred bucks like they sell at Costco anywhere on the industry for a hundred bucks. I can't get it cheaper anywhere. And it's a doggone good board for a hundred bucks. And uh, it has been a positive thing for our industry. Damn, that surf industry. Uh, because a guy can... Get an entry-level board for hundred bucks. That's not much investment nowadays, guys. In a big old truck, pay that for a tank of gas. Yeah. But uh, saw Dane Reynolds on his Instagram stories pushing his kid into a wave on a wave storm. On a wave storm. So Dane Why Reynolds not? has a wave storm. hundred bucks, and they're and they're and they're pretty darn good. But then at the same time, it's become very uh, chic to uh, ride softboards. And uh, some of the best shops, best servers in my shop, and some of the best servers in this town spend a lot of time on softboards, which I'm don't. I'm old guy stuck in my ways. I'm not that into a softboard. Me neither. But uh, these guys are ripping on softboards. They're not ripping like they do on a hardboard, which no. is my thing. I'm going. Why are you wasting time? Because it's cool. Why are you wearing those tight pants that are uncomfortable? Because <laughs> it's cool. Why are you wearing those stupid shoes? It's very cool, TK. Don't you realize it's That's cool? That's funny. The so price of cool. What um, Does it bastardize the hardboard sales? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't feel think like it does it either. Does. Like those like guys who you're talking about ripping on those boards. They got hardboards too, by the way. My yeah, guys, they got hardboards also. But they're just riding the softboards... Uh, well, it's a look at me world. Yeah. Look at me. Look at least this guy over here is wearing long blonde hair, looking like a girly, and standing in a in a pose. Those shorts of, are from your era. Yeah, those <laughs> shorts. Are you looking at the shorts. He had it first, so it's not cool anymore. Exactly. Oh, it's not cool exactly. anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a be cool world. That's a perfect segue. Actually, I was going to ask you 
how um, employees have changed over the years? Do you find them easier to work with, harder to work with? Are they more willing to work? I mean, are we'll we always hear gripes about the Are we looking for the millennial uh, badge? I, I want to know what your experience is like. Hey, first off, I want to say that in my store here, I've been amazingly blessed with employees Have from you? day one. Really? There was a time a few years back when I checked records and my average employee was 17 years. Who works what? 17 years in a stinking surf shop? You? You've been here well, 50. Me, I'm 52, <laughs> 52 years. But uh, by and large, That's insane. they come and they don't go away. How is that? How do you do they that? They come here because they love the surf. They, they're here, they're working here for the surf. They get treated well. You know what? I love them. They feel my love. I mean, they feel my love. Uh, there's, you know, there's a relational in this store. You're not going to get this in the big box because there's not. In fact, you know, I hear stories at some of the big box things and the things that go on with uh, employees that are uh, oh, shocking to me and, uh, and saddening to me. I just, three or four months ago, uh, Quicksilver took the best salesman from 15 different surf stores down to a weekend at uh, K38 and they bought a couple of condos for two or three nights and bought our beer and our food and stuff for us and uh, we surfed it and and I got to go along and, and had a great time but one of the things that opened my eyes was listening to the guys uh, interaction about employment and their jobs and how it went and their uh, oh there was a story on hey Johnny got to be an oh everyone's got a uh, a, a monitor on them or a, or a label. Johnny got to be assistant, assistant night shift manager at the store, and uh, and you know, and which was a big move up to be an assistant nighttime manager, a night shift manager. Each shift as a manager, interesting. The uh, and but then they got him. They saw him. They caught him on film drinking energy drinks, and he got demoted back to the day crew. No. And I'm like going in my going. Oh, who the hell gives a... I mean, what the hell do you care if a guy's drinking an energy drink? That's hilarious. And the fact that these kids are used to working under a camera. Yeah. They caught him on the camera. And, and the what the shock was that they got a camera watching us. It was that Johnny got caught on the camera. Right. What the hell? How about the fact that they got a stinking camera on you? Right. Who the hell are you working for and they don't trust you enough? They got to have a camera on it? And they got someone... They're paying someone to sit there and look at the camera? Yeah. Oh, my God. Where's the world gone? I'm old and I'm going to die. Thank God. Because it's messed up. And, and I mean, it was it was shocking to me to hear these guys interact, first off, on how they were, each one were talking about their little uh, position that, well, yeah, well, he's uh, third in command on the on the morning shift. Right. And, like, now... All the layers now, of... I've got a son uh, named Dane, and, I, of course, I love him very much. He's my son. And he went to college, and then he went to... Uh, uh, post-grad and got an MBA uh, degree and he uh, came to me one day after going to MBA uh, class and went dad you know we studied your your management style today in MBA class and I'm laughing okay here comes a joke you yeah. know let's see stupid style I'm sure is what it's gonna be and I go oh really and he goes yeah he goes you actually have style I go what really and he goes yeah it's called chaos and I go okay interesting chaos okay that's the joke that's the best you can do I guess you're an MBA guy he goes no dad it's in the books it's yeah. called chaos yeah. and he goes and in chaos it's a uh, it's a type of management that not many people can can thrive or live in but the people that do live in it enjoy it very much and it's a situation where there's not 
specified managers and assistant managers and there's not a, a there's not a specified hierarchy that has to be adhered to people that can survive in it or people that can come in and open their eyes see what needs to be done and get it done and uh and I think about it and go, you know what? That is a, a lot of the way that we do it here. You need, could, but I, you need a conductor in that scenario. But I get to be the conductor. That's the point. I get to be yeah. the conductor. But uh, if I got a guy that's been working here for one week, and he sells the last uh, uh, bicycle rack, the 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 number two size bicycle rack. He's got to get on the phone and order some more number two size bicycle racks. Right. I don't have a guy whose job is to go through the shop and realize, well, A, I don't have a computer to tell me that, oh, you just ran out of the last uh, bicycle rack, reorder. So I have to train these guys that you call up the manufacturer and you order up a half a dozen or what you think is a, uh, a reasonable amount of uh, bicycle racks that you just sold the last one or you even notice that we're down to the last one. And the guys that last here a long time are the guys that can have their eyes open and, and follow through with that. And uh, a lot of the other stores, the guy's not allowed to step his foot into a purchasing position, you know, for years possibly, yeah. you know. And another thing we do here at the Frog House, and I'm my wandering here, and I'm good at wandering, but uh, I talk to my guys. We do a lot of special orders for people in here. We got a small store. We got a lot of inventory, but it's a small store. We may not have what a guy has, wants. But I'll get it to you, and I'll get it to you quick. And more importantly, I'll get it to you dependably. And I will keep in touch with you on the phone every step of the way to let you know what's going on. Yeah. That, oh, they're out of them today, but they're going to get them in three days, and then they're going to ship them. You know? Yeah. We don't take your, oh, yeah, you know, we'll call you, don't call us. And I encourage them, hey, customer, if you call us, we'll give you an up an update on where your order stands. But I talk to my guys and go, listen, I would like you to do enough special orders every week to cover your cost of you working here. Yeah. You know? And it ain't hard. Keep your eyes open. Yeah. Keep your ears open. Somebody so wants a, uh, you know, we sell a ton of in here. I sell a ton of uh, single fins. The guy's got tri-set. He ran into the jetty, broke out and lost a fin. I'll get you one fin that's uh, oh, interesting. Uh, for you. And, and I it's do... Like a, for a thruster. For a thruster. And yeah. I do... 8, 10, 12 of those a week. That's a great idea. And, I didn't and, even know but, you could do that. Yeah, I hope the other guys are listening to start doing it too because I make money doing it. Yeah. But it's but at the same time, it's a great opportunity to drop the ball on a customer. You know, you tell them, okay, I'm getting it for you and it doesn't happen. Well, I sell to them off the rack if I've got it. And sure. then I have a, a split set I put Back in a different up. box. Yeah. And then on uh, Monday when the sales rep come in, we go through that box and order replacements on them. But... Uh, we do a ton of special orders, and uh, it builds up a, a a care and a and a love between the customer and us. I might have love might not be the right word, but uh, a trust and a dependableness that they can depend on us, and that pays dividends for years and years. Yeah. So, I wanted to comment on the chaos theory of management. Oh, the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, my my daughter, my daughter Carly, who's a, a college post grad graduate, also. Uh, is very sharp and uh, but she accurately goes TK what you do there is you run the the uh, island for lost boys and you get to be Peter Pan that's funny. and it's so true your daughter calls you TK well yeah she calls it that's TK. funny what does it stand for by the way <laughs> well my name is Thomas Kent Brimer the T and K are initials and back in the 
late 70s I started a skateboard company and I didn't have enough money to buy a separate telephone line so on my business cards I wrote TK Brimer and if the phone rang I knew it was a business call for skateboards and I could try to behave in a business-like manner gotcha. and so it was TK oh yeah you look and yes sir gotcha. this is TK and it caught on and it's been TK ever since um, in regard to the chaos theory of management uh, or style it was actually a question I had driving over here was you said to me you know we started recording at 4.30. We spoke on the phone at 3.45, and you warned me. You go, hey. Uh, I could be lost. I could be lost. By 4.30, I might be at the grocery store. Maybe send me a reminder at 4.25. Really? So if listeners haven't identified it by now, you, <laughs> <laughs> your brain works in a special way. And, uh, and so, but what's interesting is it's actually antithetical to running a successful business. I have no idea what antithetical you, means. It's anti. Oh, running, anti. Running, oh. A, running a business. Possibly. To run a business for 50 years, you need to actually cross the T's, dot the I's. You need to be somewhat uh, pragmatic. And it would seem to be that you would step on your own toes. That you, despite if you had a line of customers out the door, that your kind of um, type of management or functioning would get in the way of potential mm -hmm. success. It probably does to some extent. I, but it's had a wild, it, like, it's the perfect alchemy of, we just want to be around you. We just want to be here. We, what are you selling? We'll buy it. Well, it, you well know? Okay, I wish it was totally that easy. But you know what? First off, I have a love for the guys that walk in the front door here. I have a love for the customers. And they feel that. And by the way, we were talking also about employees. I love the employees. I mean, I have a love and I care. And it's not for me to toot my horn in here. But others will, like, go through you know just page after page of what I do for I get parents that come here and go do you realize that you are the father to my boy and uh and you've done this for years and years of this and I I get I'll get teary-eyed and go yeah okay whatever thanks but it's not because I'm I don't get up in the morning and go I'm gonna go out and be the best person in the world but uh, I care for other people and uh yeah I'm like uh I'm hyperactive and attention deficit to the max my attention deficit is so horrible. Like a shiny dime falls out, I'm off on another direction. But I'm also blessed with a really good mind. And it'll come back sooner or later. I'll go, oh, I got to finish this up. Although I, uh, you talk, you did an example of a, a line of customers out the door and I might just be blowing the whole way. And you're right. And I've had my wife just go, TK, finish with one customer. Then get to the next customer. Because I'll be trying to talk to four different ones at the same time and yeah. it makes sense to me but they're not being satisfied right but right. so yeah it is a difficult uh, it's a difficult uh, personality but uh i am blessed with a youthful exuberance that most people don't have can i ask how old you are 71 crazy 71 crazy. years old 71 years old and i couldn't be happier wow Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's just, and by the way, hey, how do you uh, how do you have this youthful exuberance at 71 years old? I serve five days a week. Some of these guys get up in the morning, they go to a stinking gym with a bunch of who knows what kind of people sitting there grunting and groaning and sweating and they lift weights and they walk on a treadmill and they're hating life. 
and uh, and but they try to stay in shape that way. I get up and go surfing, a joyous event, you know, just I mean, just a, a, a alters your mood for the entire day, and as a sidekick, you get to stay in shape and yeah. you get good health. Yep. I mean, it's just a sidekick. Yeah. It's nothing that you get point for the good health. It's just uh, following your addiction and it pays off in the good health. Mike could have a aneurysm tonight and die tomorrow if that happens. Goodbye, everybody. I love you. I'm enjoying myself where I am now. But uh, in the meantime, no, I'm super blessed with health. Yeah. It's amazing. And then also, I'm also blessed with this thing where I realize that uh, your attitude's a choice. You know what? And my wife is not as upbeat as I am. And uh, some of the biggest conflict we have is she's the half empty, I'm the half full. You know, and I'm like, find myself trying to defend people or situations where she's angry about that. I'm like, hey, this, it could have been that. And I have to stop and just go, okay, she's half empty. Being happy is, and being joyful is a choice you get to make every day. You would be wrong to think I don't have little tragedies, little problems, things sure. you could worry about in my life. But let's not worry about that. Let's not let them win. Yeah. Let's uh let's dude. Yeah. You get to make a choice. Yeah. Be happy. Or be sad, but realize it's your choice. I, I love it. I love what you're saying. It's aspirational. Um what what's next for the frog house? How much longer will you be here? And what ah, happens when you're not? Ah, you're scaring me to death because everyone's asking that question because I am 71 and I don't look a day over 70 and a half. But uh, yeah, Barry's going, TK, what's your exit? What's your exit plan? And I've always said, and I still believe, I'm not going to be the old guy that doesn't surf that's sitting in the surf shop going, yeah, well, that guy used to surf. Right. If I can't surf, I'm out of here because I do this for the fun of the surf. And uh, and I'm getting old. My wife's demanding that I... That I uh, uh, get rid of this place or, or you know make a change and not not to be involved anymore mainly because like I pointed out she does the books for this place we don't have a computer she doesn't get to like push a button and it and it does the day's report she has to take every one of those handwritten receipts I and bless her for the what she's let me live yeah, of course. but uh, she takes every one of those receipts and puts them onto a ledger sheet by hand and then uses a, a, a hand run addition machine of their left hand and uh, adds them up and has to put up with all that crap. And uh, I, my personality just can't do paperwork. I can't sit still at a desk right. that long. Uh, only my ego lets me sit down long enough to have this discussion <laughs> with you. <laughs> so I'd be bouncing off the walls already. So what? So where's where's from, it go from, from here? From surfing heritage and cultures kind of exhibit standpoint, temples of Stoke. And where will the next temples be for the next generation? You know, what happens with the frog house? There's been a time in this industry when manufacturers have bought surf shops, but they're not doing it right now. But I've even had some soft inquiries through the years from other guys. Hey, TK, you interested there in selling this place? List. There would be a long list. But uh, I don't know that there. The, the, a lot of these manufacturers have discovered that retail is not as easy as they think it is. Sure. You know, and. Uh, they uh, they're not buying uh, surf shops like they they used to. Uh, my own son, who uh, like his MBA, but he's always envisioned himself as something bigger than this. Uh, a CEO of a larger company, uh, knocking down big bucks, uh, you know, every year. And uh, so he didn't spend the time in here learning the relationships that keep this place alive right now. It's all relationships, you know, right? The relationships are so huge That's to it. keep this little place going. I am, uh, I'm not a no pay, but I'm a slow pay for a lot of these guys. But 
for a lot of them, I've got so many years of uh, experience with them and trust has been built up. And uh, in fact, people ask me, TK, what do you do for a living? I go, oh, I run a surf shop, but that's a lie. I juggle debt. That's what I do for a living. I juggle debt. I have $1 to pay and I have four people that, that I owe a dollar to. And I get that dollar to one of them and keep the other three happy until they get their dollar. And, uh, and I could give lessons on how to do that that the kids wouldn't understand today. Well, I'm glad that you said that though, because that's something that a lot of people um, would be embarrassed to admit, but it really is how the industry, sorry to use that again, but that's how retail runs. <laughs> it does run that way. I mean, and not just in surfing. I, no, it does run that way. Yeah. I, uh, I had an experience, boy, I'm good. I hope I'm not sorry to tell this story, but my son right out of MBA school wanted to, uh, I said, you know what? I go, people are doing this dot-com thing and they're selling stuff online and the Frog House has never done that and I could give a damn about ever doing that, but it's available to you, son, if you want to try and do that. And I've got inventory here and connections and, uh, you know, we could give that a try. And he did give it a try for a couple of years and it didn't work out. Uh, it didn't work out not because of him it, and it worked out because the industry, I mean, because the dot-com thing was going through a change where these manufacturers sell online now, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I could uh, I could offer three styles of Billabong short in six colors each, or they could go to Billabong website and look at 14 styles in 18 colors each. Right. Why are they buying from me? No reason to buy right. from me. And, uh, and it didn't work out uh, in the long term, except my son learned a lot about business doing it, and, uh, and his career now, he is in uh, online sales, but, uh, and using some of the skills that he developed in that uh, ultimately shut down business of froghouse.com. But it came to a time in that, that business one day where my son was angry at me, like, what's up? And he's going, well, I got a guy who wants to buy a size 34 yellow so-and-so trunk for Billabong. They won't ship me one because you, Dad, haven't paid your bill and they don't want to ship you. And if you'd pay your damn bill, I could sell a pair of trunks and keep my business going. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, pretty heavy accusation and all true. The, uh, <laughs> where are we going with this? But I go, whoa, 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 wait, watch, whoa, watch this. And I get on the phone. I call Larry at the, at the Billabong. I go, hey, Larry, TK, how you doing? Hey, buddy, I need a, a size 34 yellow, this model trunk. Yeah, I know. Buddy, and I got nothing for you this week, but I will have something for you next week. I have some money for you next week. You have my word on that. Ah, uh, thanks, Larry. Hey, listen, I'm going to send my son over to pick those trunks up. Thank you very much. I hang up. I go, now look, son. I go, go over there and pick up your pair of trunks and sell those things and make your 20 bucks for selling them, you know? But before you go, I want to mention something to you. I go, you know, I go, I owe uh, $430,000 in outstanding debt to this industry right today. I go, now, gosh, I just paid a lot of money for you to go to, uh, to, to uh, MBA school. And, and, and you know all those uh, student loans you don't have? Th those are largely because your dad's a stinking idiot, okay? But, uh, but let me, did they teach you that you'd have me go to the bank and borrow $430,000 and pay those debts off so you could get a stinking pair of trunks when you need it and make 20 bucks? <laughs> Do you realize it's going to cost me four thousand, almost four thousand dollars a month in interest to pay off that that money that I borrowed to pay those debts? I go, that would be suicide. I would be out of business in no time. I go, real. This industry finances my business. It finances my business and charges me nothing for it, as long as I do the dance and I stay in close contact with the guys I owe money to, and I come through on my promises, and I've got a, a long time record of coming through, I go, 
what are they teaching you at that MBA school? Yeah. And he thinks, he goes, gosh, Dad, I, I never thought of it like that, but you're, you're absolutely right. That's an amazing, an amazing situation you have where you get free financing for your business. I go, dude, open your eyes and recognize it and go pick up your trunks and think about that while you're driving out to Irvine and get, make you 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and my son, I love him and he loves me. And, uh, and, and like I say, he's working in the, uh, the uh, e-commerce uh, industry today and uh, and doing really well at it. And part of it's lessons he learned in our uh, early uh, exposure. It's such a great story. Anyway, it's a good, it's a good story. It's a good story. And it, I mean, it's easy to kind of assign a, a lot of that um, debt juggling towards mismanagement, you know, or... Well, I guarantee part of it is... <laughs> Well, sure. I'm sure some of it. I'm sure some of it is. I'm not perfect at it by any means. Yeah, I make mistakes all the time. But the reality is, um, those brands that are supplying you with that product, waiting for that invoice, are aware of those things as well, and they've structured their business in a way to to where they can float that. And as long as they're moving product, you know, right, it makes sense for their business. I say, as long as you you come through in the long run, as long as you don't go out of business, you don't go out. And thank God I haven't done that yet. (laughs) Although they do, you know, they've got lists of guys that do go out of business and that's and leave them. I'm like I always tell them, like, say, I'm I might be slow pay, but I'm not no pay. And you know what? Today you could liquidate what I've got in here and pay everything that was uh, sure. that's owed and I'd have a net left over. You that's know? the important but part. But it hasn't always been that way. Sure. <laughs> I mean, there's been times through the years when you go and, yeah. oh goodness, that's a whole other story. Well, this has been fascinating. Um, fin- hey, that's a wrap it up uh, note there. <laughs> yeah, well, no, final note for everybody, most importantly, is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? That I rode? Well, you know what? I've been buying this 6.9 uh, uh it's Channel Islands and it's the Fred Rubble. Oh, yeah. And I've been riding this Fred Rubble for about eight boards in a row. And, you know, people make fun of the computer. You know what I like? I get the same board over and over and over. And at my age and all, I don't get used to a new board very easily. Right. I'm riding a 5.9 for about the last year and a half. And I was riding a 5.5 before that. And uh, I keep getting older and needing a little bit bigger board but personally i've resisted going to the long board i'm trying to save that for 80 years old but my god it's only nine years away but uh five nine fred rubble in no no six nine i'm sorry six, six nine, nine fred, fred rubble, rubble in polyurethane poly yeah i'm a poly guy i'm an old school guy i don't understand the epoxy thing at all really? i go to get ding repair done on it. it's a lot more work and more expensive uh it's uh it's it's billed as being strength it's stronger oh great it's stronger than poly oh yeah but we're gonna make it so light that it's no stronger than poly at all in fact it breaks easier but look how light it is dang i'll just stay with poly i'm an old guy stuck in a rut and i'm i'm uh, really happy with the uh you know with the polyester board and like i say and i'm enjoying the computer that i can i get uh you know three boards a year the exact same board boom 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 and i don't i don't have to uh adjust a lot when I get the new one they're almost always just flawlessly into the next board yeah. you know so I enjoy that I'm surfing four or five days a, a, a week and uh, I and my longtime employee Mikey Bejo here we surf at 10 o'clock in the morning is our normal deal that's the crack of early afternoon <laughs> and uh, you know what the school kids have all gone back to school the worker guys are off to work and uh, we go out there and it's not so crowded, and uh, we have a great, great time. And uh, it's an enviable life. It's to me, it's, it's you know what? It's an enviable life. Really I is. look around. I don't see many I would trade for. 
Well, not many. You would need to be making $5 million a year to be doing it otherwise. Possibly. Right here in Newport Beach. Possibly. Oh, I am so So. super, super blessed that way. Well done. Well, well done. Thank you for that. It's uh, it's just a selfishness I've always had to try to indulge myself. Yeah. Good for you. All right. (laughs) Thanks, DK. My pleasure. I can see her lying back in her satin dress In a room where you do what you don't confess Sundown, you better take care If I find you've been creeping round my back stairs Sundown, you better take care If I find you've been creeping round my back stairs The Temples of Stoke exhibit launches at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center on August 9th with an opening reception party that's open to the public. You can get tickets at shack.org, S-H-A-C-C.org. They have California's most iconic surf shops participating, from O'Neill and Hout and Freeline up in Santa Cruz to Jacobs, Bing, Greg Knoll, Hobie, Takayama, Gordon and Smith, Lots of legacy and influence in one space. There's more shops than the ones that I just named. Um, And that exhibit will be on display through October 6th. I'll be publishing my conversations with some of those retailers every other week through that duration, kind of mixed in with our normal programming. So you can find video and photos of TK of The Frog House and all of his shenanigans at surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also leave a comment there in the comment section for him. And then if you like this show and like this style of content and you want to hear more of it, we simply ask that you share the show with friends. That is how we grow the show. The more people listening, the more shows we will be able to produce, and the more we'll just be able to attract um, guests to the show, you know, A-listers who um, want to spread whatever it is that they're doing. They will choose this venue as opposed to traditional or legacy surf media or in addition to it. So just share the show with friends and help us grow that way. You could follow on social media at Surf Splendor, and you can also throw a donation in the donation bucket on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. My name is David Scales. I thank you very much for listening and encourage you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on. Sometimes I think it's a shame When I get feeling better When I'm feeling no pain Sundown, you better take care If I find you've been creeping round my back stairs Sundown, you better take care If I find you've been creeping round my back stairs Sometimes I think it's a sin When I feel like I'm winning When I'm losing the 